former U.S. National Rugby Team captain. Team captain. Head coach and general manager. General manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I am your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Today, I have a very, very special guest, uh, former EVP at the Mavericks, head of all things revenue. He's seen sports from so many different angles. Major League Rugby is so blessed to have him as our uh, commish, our chief uh, of, of Major League Rugby, George Killebrew. George, thanks for joining us today. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Mags. It, is, um, it has been a wild year for you since you came on board. <laughs> Why are you crazy enough to join us in the first place? <laughs> are you crazy? I think it's an honor. Yeah, it has been a little bit challenging. That was the frustrating thing. You know, we got through five weeks of competition and pretty much every one of our metrics were pointing up. Attendance was up, viewership was up, sponsorship was up, our broadcast agreements were robust and, and we had to shut it down because of COVID. So uh, looking forward to getting back after it in uh, February of 2021. Yeah, and you guys are working so hard right now behind the scenes. I'm going to play a little word game with you. Mavs. Mark Cuban. Mustangs. SMU. Magleby's. New England Free Jacks. Sports cards. One of my favorite hobbies. We got to talk about that because the other day I was going through some old boxes, COVID style, and I found a 81 Tops Joe Montana. And I was like, what? That's amazing. That's like a $25,000 card. It's going crazy right now. There's a, a 2004 LeBron James card that just sold at auction at like $190,000. That is crazy. Like recent stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Okay, I got I to gotta, I gotta re, refocus on my card collection <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> exactly. Hawaii. Home. Tickets. The lifeblood of sports. Free Jacks IPA. Delicious. Having one right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> I wish. Betting. Up and coming category. The future. Bright. Amazing. We got to get to know the commission a little bit. You know, and by the end of this, we're going to know if you're going to be like the Dana White commissioner, if you're going to be the Adam Silver commissioner. But we got to walk through your story a bit. Sure. Yeah. Let's just start. Let's start in Hawaii and, and take us how you got to MLR. Yeah, I grew up and raised in Hawaii, which is unusual. Um, didn't really spend a lot of time on the mainland. Uh, when it came time to go to college, uh, I came to Texas. Uh, my mom actually went to SMU, and uh, I applied mostly just to California schools, and that's where all my buddies were going. And she kind of said, why don't you do something different? And Texas is as east as I'd ever been uh, as an 18-year-old, and Got here and uh, met my wife-to-be and stayed in Dallas my whole career and got on with the Mavs and in like 1991 is like the lowest man on the totem pole and kind of worked my way up over time. And then in 2000, Mark Cuban bought us and kind of a life-changing <clears throat> moment for all of us. And we got really good and we had two NBA Finals appearances and kind of checked all those boxes. And I said, what should I do next? How about rugby? So how's that for a 30-second synopsis of my life? Perfect. And the, the most important piece, you're at SMU when SMU is actually good at football. 
Right. I was classmates with and still friends to this day with Eric Dickerson and Craig James. And I didn't know a lot about American football when I got there because in Hawaii, I did things like volleyball and body surfing and water polo. And so I get to SMU and everybody in the dorms like, well, what do you play? So I kind of told them and they're like, yeah, we don't do any of that here. So I started going to those football games and we're beating everyone like 70 to nothing. Like, I think my four years there, we lost like six games total. And I just thought that's the way it was. And, you know, and then I okay, found out later that they, they were paying the players and maybe that's why we were better. And, but yeah, it's, it's fun. I'm, I'm really honored now to serve on the board of trustees of the university. Talk about coming full circle, you know, and, and you really get to understand what makes a university tick, you know, when you're on the board of trustees. So uh, it's been kind of full circle and, and really an honor. Yeah, it's a great university as well, you know, certainly in athletics, but definitely in academics. You, you know, you had to cut your teeth a bit before, you know, and we've seen this as a, in a lot of our guests, you really had to learn to grind. And you were, you were with the sidekicks for a bit, that was indoor soccer. Right. And that was just slinging tickets? What were you doing? <clears throat> well, as you know, we do everything. Like, you know, when there's a, seven, as you know, there, when there's a seven-person front office staff, you know, you do it all. I, I, my, my title was director of marketing, but we sold tickets, we sold sponsorships, we did marketing. I did the radio and television color. Uh, I wasn't play-by-play, -play, but I was the color man for both radio and TV. I uh, wore the headset in the arena for sort of the game presentation and, and you know, playing all the music in arena and coordinating the timeouts. And then on the weekends, we would do soccer camps, you know, out in the community and it was awesome. It was the best training ground ever to get into sports. I recommend that to everybody. Start on the most minor of minor leagues, and, and you, get a, you get a flavor for the whole organization. Then if you ever get to the NBA or something, you're like, this is easy. You can make indoor soccer work. And we were, just for a point of fact, we were the first soccer team in America to make money because indoor soccer was there before the MLS. Nice. And, you know, we won a championship – you know, the, the funny story is once we won a championship at the Mavericks, Mark Cuban said to me, he goes, well, finally you got your ring. And I go, what are you talking about? I already have four. Because we won four championships in indoor soccer. Um, you know, we actually made a little bit of money. We, we netted like a quarter million dollars one year, which we thought was like $25 million. And, you know, we, we had that distinction of the first soccer team in America to make money. I, I, someday somebody should do a book on the indoor soccer of the 80s and early 90s in the United States because so much of our modern-day understanding of sports entertainment comes out of the creativity that came out of that. You had the Lukies and where were they, Kansas City or St. Louis. Yeah. And then you had the, the group in Chicago that was probably more popular than the Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You, you look at the history off the field – of indoor soccer and you got Tim and Todd Lightwicky, you got Tim Harris who runs the LA Lakers now. He was a goalie. Chris Wright, who was the president of the Minnesota Timberwolves, was a player in our league. You know, just a lot of talent just germinated out of indoor soccer, which who would have ever thought that? But, you know, what you really learn is is to try to make something out of nothing with not a lot of resources like we didn't I when you know I joke about it when we got to the Mavericks it was easy because you have all the resources you have body counts you have budget you have all that you know in these minor league sports you know we, we literally got to a point because you know the team would go bankrupt every offseason we'd have to bring in new owners we would take our mail to an, an office in our office building and say if you'll run our mail 
through your postage meter, we'll give you the like value in tickets. I mean, that's, that's pretty low, you know? <laughs> but you told me a lesson early on when you came on board just about that. And, you know, you, you were talking to some of your players and other coaches. Okay, go out in the community and coach. Go out and get in touch with, you, with the community and coach. And some of them were like, well, I don't know if I want to be a coach. You're not getting it. They're going to be fans. They're going to buy tickets. They're going to love you as the player. They're going to come watch you. That's how our business is going to function. Yeah. I say the same in this league, right? So you look at indoor soccer and you carry a roster of 20 players. All those guys are coaching in the community, probably two or three teams. So you think about that. Let's say they're coaching three teams. Well, that's another 75 kids. So you, you get the 75 kids that you're coaching during the week, and the quid pro quo is you come to watch your mentor's professional game on the weekend. Well, they're all kids, so they got to bring parents and things like that. The first 2,500 people through the turnstiles should be youth that are attached to your program and their parents, friends, brothers, grandmothers, whomever. But that's the quid pro quo. Like this, you're their hero. You're coaching them during the week. So on Saturday, when it's time for the big boys to play a professional game, we bring the whole entourage to the game. And that should begin in Major League Rugby. That should be our first 2,000 to 5,000 people through the turnstiles, people we have direct influence on. Absolutely love that. Now, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that now that you're doing the work? You've hired a great staff, and you guys are connecting with which is each of the members of Major League Rugby. Are you seeing some energy put into continuing and really lighting a fire in that participation growth model? No question. It's one of the blessings of, of shutting down after five weeks is this league's never had a year to get ready for the next season, whether it be in youth rugby, whether it be in season tickets, whether it be in sponsorships, whether it be in marketing, whether it be in broadcast. We've had a year runway. So there, there is no excuse anymore. And so I think what's cool is, um, you know, you take a team like New Orleans, you know, they, they set a goal to start 100 youth rugby programs in the state of Louisiana this offseason. So this grassroots work, which really should have been day one work for this yeah. league, um, is now getting the attention. And so we've surveyed every team. We know where they are, you know, which ones are leading the way, which ones are, are trailing the pack. But it's, it's you know, it, it should be priority one. And I think it's getting up there because if you think about it, in New Orleans' case, we would have been playing that whole season. They wouldn't have the time to get to the high schools and the rec programs because we get done in June. They're already on vacation. So, you know, they've used this time to really reach out, and that's happening across our league in all 13 of our cities. Right. It's fantastic. And even with us, when we shut down that Thursday, you know, we quickly went to a virtual world. You know, we had 200 coaches immediately getting free education online. We had 600 kids participating in our online curriculum. You know, and in total, we had about a thousand participants for two months learning or connecting the game of rugby through a virtual world that we wouldn't have created. Right. right. So, positive. Now we got, we were able to get light trainings in over the last couple of weeks. About a hundred kids come through, and that's going to continue to grow as we continue to grow that pathway participation model, which is really exciting. There's, the demand is there now. It's key, and soccer beat us to the punch, right? So, you know, when we were at the Sidekicks, for example, there were 100,000 kids registered playing soccer in North Texas. So if each one of those kids brought one parent to one game, we're sold out the whole season, right? Because the arena held 16,000. So, you know, the, you just do the math, and that's why it's critically important. And we're behind in rugby, unfortunately, 
when you look nationwide on our youth numbers, you know, and, that, and that's just got to be with the reemergence of U.S. you know rugby. That's got to be at the top, right? We've got to grow the youth participation because that's your bedrock. That is what you build off of right there. So I, I get, a, I enjoy following all of your youth rugby stuff and, um, you know, on Instagram and everything. You guys are doing a great job. We're having a lot of fun with it. And the community is really buying into it, which is great. George, I mean, you, you have a lot of opportunity. You have a lot of options. You're, you've, you've seen the sport for a long time. You've worked really hard. You've been successful. You made a big transition to Major League Rugby, right? What, why? Like, what was the, what was the reasoning behind that? What do you see in it? You know, I just think it's the challenge, you know, and as many, as you know, you know, Mark Cuban played rugby in college at Indiana University. All of his stories that I've had to listen to over the last 20 years, and I've heard them all 10 times, really rallied around his rugby days. And when this opportunity kind of popped up out of the blue and, a headhunter that I know was running the search and, and he talked to Mark and Mark came to me, he goes, man, you should do this. He said, like, there's nothing really else I could have done at the Mavericks. Like we kind of took it yeah. to the, to the top and, and he kind of knew that and he goes, man, it, it'd be great if we can kind of get in there and over time rugby, not that it, it leaps to NBA quality, but, or popularity, but let's, you know, it's, it's got a chance, you know, it's the next, it could be the next thing. And I just love challenges, and I love projects, and I, and I think this is it. And it's, it's been great. It's only been not even a year. You know, I got hired in November, um, and I'm having a blast because every day is different, and it's really, really challenging. A lot of it, the challenges we have are in my skill set, but a lot of them are not, you know, and de- dealing with something like COVID and, and trying to be a leader and doing the right thing for our, our team and our players and our coaches and our fans, that's, that's heavy, you know, and no one has that responsibility or that kind of background so that's why I mean I, I love it I think it's you know it's it's a great challenge and look hey we, we've got 13 teams it's not like we're just starting from scratch like the the growth story of this this league is a really great growth story now it's not doing this but it, you know but it's doing this yeah. and that's exciting because now you can look a year down the line two years down the line I mean on expansion I literally finally had to put this notebook together. I worked on it all morning because I'm talking to all these cities that want in for 2022, you know, and it's exciting. And, you know, as you know, we won't take on eight cities in one year. We don't have the talent pool and all that yet. But, but everyone, as, as you uncover things, rugby's got a really interesting DNA. There are a lot of really, really successful and passionate people about the sport that want to bring it to their city. They want to be that guy that brings the team to Chicago or brings the team to St. Louis or brings the team – to Las Vegas or brings the team to Hawaii or brings the team to Kansas City. You know, now it's about partnering them with the right financial backing, making sure they got good, you know, sports operators to help them really make this into a, a sport, you know, friend, friend, friendly sport, not just a great rugby sport, but something where fans want to come. And I mean, it's great. It's, there's nothing but positives really in this job right now. I love it. And since you've come on board, you've really helped us just making sure we're focusing on the right things and prioritizing the right things, making sure we're we're doing those well first. You know, let's let's walk before we run. Kind of mindset, which has been enormously helpful. Like you said when we're getting those extra cities, I thought you were going to say Springfield, and then I was going to say which one? Is this the Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> no, no Springfield. We're good. Can we end up growing too fast. Like, what is, what is our growth going to be? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, and that's one that you're probably more qualified to answer than I am. Just because what I'm told about the competition is the talent pool in the U.S. can't, 
you know, we can't go from 13 to 20 teams in one year, which I get. But I think you can add two teams a year, um, and especially if we're getting franchise fees that help solidify this league, then absolutely you have to do it. Because, you know, this is all about revenue, and, and, and Major League Rugby really hasn't been about revenue until now. It's really all been about expense. But until we start bringing in real revenues, that'll solidify all of our member teams. It'll take the financial pressure off of them. And the only way that comes, the biggest chunk that comes in is an expansion. It comes in other ways too. It comes in sponsorship. It comes in media rights when we're actually to the point of a, as a league where we're paid uh, to be on ESPN or paid to be on CBS Sports Network or paid to be on Fox Sports 2. You know, those are chunks of, of revenue that we're not capturing today. But the biggest one would be expansion fees, and that's why it's important. Right, and that effectively is – those are our assets. You know, there's only 40-something cities that you would put a professional club in that has a, the, the bandwidth to support it and the population. So effectively, that's our supply, if you will. Exactly. Right. Exactly. What is day in the life of the commission? What is that like? You know, that's one thing that's really fun about the job. Like, if you'd ask me what's the day in the life of the Mavs EVP, it's pretty much the same every day. Uh, not in this job. Like, you know, uh, we do a, I do a lot of interviews, yeah. a lot of press interviews um, in each of our cities around the country. I uh, do a lot of expansion kind of talks. Like, you look at today, for example, then I'm doing a Zoom later with, you know, the guys at USA Rugby uh, to make sure we're a good citizen there. We're doing our part to – to really help in their reemergence. Um, you know, our staff uh, at the league level is spread out amongst Vancouver, Canada, Seattle, Washington, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Dallas, Texas. So we do a lot of Zooms just with my nine people to make sure we're on the same page and we're, we're kind of dealing with what's, uh, you know, the issue to, uh, of the day. So, you know, every day is different. Yeah, and I think, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be able to focus on that overall strategy and revenue, you know, those pieces. But the reality of running this league requires so many operational components that I don't think everybody appreciates, you know, from workers' compensation to maintaining parity in the league. There's so many, so many intricate parts that your staff has to deal with. And it's a small staff, and they're really savvy, and they're doing a great job. Biggest lesson so far in your first year? You know, I think – this league has really concentrated on the competition. I think it's led kind of the first three years. And, and as I've gotten into it, what I've learned is we really need to concentrate on the business because it's the business that's going to let us A, survive, and B, thrive. So it's just the, the blocking and tackling of running a sports franchise from selling tickets to selling sponsorships to marketing to community relations to youth rugby to robust broadcast partnerships it's like those are really the important things to me because i don't have a dog in the hunt so i don't care who wins the championship you know as far as i'm concerned if everyone went eight and eight you know and we had parity in the league and you know life's good we're the only professional rugby league in north america like, you can't say that in lacrosse. Like, there's, there's four of those trying to kill each other. Yeah. So, the competition is important. It's our core product. But that's not the issue of the day. The issue of the day is running a sports franchise and revenues and keeping it such where we can sustain. We don't want to lose any members, right? We just want to grow. 
But if we're not focused in on those basic sports marketing, sports business objectives, then we're going to lose franchises because we're spending too much time on the franchise level worrying about the competition. How do we win? How do we beat the next guy? And I get it. We're all competitive guys. But the first thing we need to really do is make sure that our stands are full, that we have great local sponsors that are carrying our banner in the community, that when people come to our matches, they are entertained, not just from a rugby perspective, but, you know, just fighting for that entertainment dollar, you know, and if we're, if we're, if we're do, checking all those boxes, and some of our teams are, by the way, that are doing a really good job commercially, then I'm okay with them focusing on the competition. But until then, until all of our stadiums are full and we have a full roster of great corporate sponsors and we have great broadcast agreements and people come to our matches and say, that was the funnest thing I've ever done. I'm going every week and I'm buying season tickets. You know, we're not there yet. So that we, we've got to check those boxes. Absolutely. It's, I can't miss it. I have to be there. And oh, by the way, you've taken care of me from the driveway to the driveway. And the presentation, we talked about presentation at one stage and just how important that is for the fan experience and just making sure each one of our members are really focusing on, on presentation. And, and my team here locally has worked really hard on that. I'm fortunate that we couldn't share that with our awesome founding members and fans and you know, sell out in Boston area on St. Patty's. You can't, you can't beat that, right? In terms of well, you, I mean, you look at the three expansion teams of which you were one, and they all had their act together. You know, they all were to play their home opener in front of a sold-out crowd. They all had great corporate sponsorship. They, like, you guys were right there, and then the rug gets yanked out from all of us, but that's okay because now you've kind of gotten to that point, and as we reemerge, you know, you're going to be right there again. So, I mean, between the efforts in New England and the efforts in Atlanta, you know, is, is really impressive stuff. The efforts in D.C., you know, for three expansion teams to have sellouts on their opening day, that doesn't happen. That's not easy, you know, and that's what really made me excited. And that's what bummed me out in week five when we had to shut down because we were just seeing these metrics. We, we had done a, a .88 on Fox Sports 2. Actually, it was your game in, in San Diego, I believe. And yeah. like, that's the largest regular season rating we'd ever achieved in the history of the league. Yeah, You know, we're seeing these metrics and people do care. People are showing up yeah. and our television was looking good. And, and I'm like, man, we, we, we are, we are doing more of this than this. Um, so, yeah. It's an entertaining product on the field. And I, I think that's a really important piece. We were kind of halfway through this COVID thing. We had to shut down. Well, we had to shut on the field down, but we've been, we're all been working really hard behind the scenes to continue to mature. What does it look like next six months? How, how, what are we going to do here in terms of, managing COVID, what's the office doing right now to help prepare us as members to make sure we're ready to go? Well, honestly, what we're doing right now is we're watching. We're watching the leagues that are growing in front of us. And we're seeing some success stories. We're seeing the NBA and NHL in the big boy leagues. Uh, we're seeing World Team Tennis, for example, in a challenger league have success through their, this bubble kind of situation. Then we, we saw the news out of baseball, which is just – disheartening right where one team has a bunch of players test positive so the good news is we have some runway you know we're not making any hard and fast decisions today because everything changes every day is a new day um you know so we do have that runway to study a little bit but it's we're going to be up to bat here pretty soon and so we we're going to have to learn from what's gone on in front of us and, and do the best we can but anyone that says they've, they've got the 
you know, the golden bullet on this thing. They, they just don't. I mean, it just changes every day. And we're going to be able to watch, you know, all of these people go in front of us, including the NCAA, and, and just try to learn. Yeah. And just making sure we're doing everything we can to make sure our staff and players and everybody is safe and certainly our fans. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're seeing when we're running our, our clinics now. There's a lot of enthusiasm because it is safe. You know, a parent said the other day, you know, my daughter is now willing to wear her face mask around town without a fight because she gets to wear them when she goes to the clinic and the free jacks are all, you know, run, wearing them. And so it, it sets a standard, which is pretty cool. Um, as a league in the end, how, how do we make money? Like, how does this whole business work? The person out there who doesn't understand kind of this whole thing, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, number one, we got to grow revenues. That's how this business works. Right now, there's very little revenues. So that's by taking in expansion teams and expansion fees. It's about building a sponsorship base, which we've begun to. We, never, we didn't have one cash-paying sponsor last year. And already going into this year, under the COVID you know, umbrella, we have two you know, to start out with. And that's, that's at the league level. That's at the league level we've done well. And we're starting to see those blue chips starting to come in as well, like the Delta. We have Delta and U.S. Army, and others are saying Anheuser-Busch's. And yeah, that, you know, to, to really answer your question, the member teams have the best opportunity to maximize revenue. Like we saw that in indoor soccer. We, you know, if the league office could generate just enough money to cover the league office and, and our, all the expenses that go with it, and then the member teams actually go out and sell two to 5,000 season tickets and a couple million in, in sponsorship and things like that, then I think we're, we're profitable. And then at some point, you know, we'll have networks paying us for our content. So it's really, it's expansion fees at the league level. It's expansion fees, it's league-wide sponsorships, and it's getting our broadcast partners to pay us for our content. Right. And then that last piece, that comes from putting on a more compelling product. That comes from just simply more butts in the seats so it looks more compelling. Or the, like, what, is that, what does that formula have to look like for, for TV dollars, for broadcast dollars to, to, to come to there? Well, that's it. You're only, you're only as strong as your weakest member. You know? So if we throw up something on Fox Sports 2 from a city where there's no one in the stands. That's yeah, bad. Yeah, and then you're st when you're talking to major brands and, you know, Fortune 500, the Budweiser's of the world, they go, hey, you know, George, I get it. I, I get you have some success stories, but you still got some, some holes to fill, you know. And, hey, let's face it, you know, we're, we're not putting in 50,000 people per home game. You know, we're trying to get five, seven, ten, you know, and, and those, those economics are a little bit different. So people have to buy into the growth and that's, you know, that's really important. We're looking for partners, whether it be broadcast or sponsorship partners, that want to grow with us. And so maybe today they're not going to spend a million bucks with us, but maybe they will give us some six-figure money and let us earn it. You know, right. let, us, let them show you, hey, get in now, give us what you can give us, and let us prove it. Because I, I can't think of another sport that is as ripe as rugby is to take off in this country. I mean, you look at the, the way rugby is loved internationally, and the, really the only place it hasn't translated is in North America. Well, we, we have a huge opportunity. It's like I, I, I really study MLS 25 years ago because we were on a very parallel path. Yeah. Uh, Sports Business Journal just did an article about 
the, the first 25 years of MLS and they talk to all the founders and, and you know, there are probably 12 of them and they start talking about things that we're going through today at Major League Rugby. Absolutely. And you saw that they had to consolidate ownership because they were spending too much on empty stadiums and the football stadium. What they did have and we don't really is that bedrock of participation underneath. But what we have is the lessons that we can collect from all of those sports leagues, you know, and obviously with digital media now, we can shortcut a lot of that growth and, and, and the learning I think is a really important part, which brings up stars, right? Is star power important for us as we grow? Obviously, with all your experience in the NBA, how important that is to the NBA and when players get 50% of that revenue or whatever it is, and they're the stars, right? Um, how does that look for us? Is that, is that part of our growth? I think it is, but I'll, I'll answer that this way. I think that the youth that come to Free Jacks games, the fans, they have got to be able to relate to the people on the field. Like they got to have heroes. They got to have people to look up to. Whether they're stars or not is not as important to me. I'm a big proponent of our players wearing their last names on the back of their jerseys. And the only reason I'm a proponent for that is that how, how, that's how you educate your television audience and your in-stadium attendees who your players are. You know, there'd be nothing worse for me to take my son to a game and him say to me, who is that wearing number nine? And I can't answer the question, right? So, and then you look at what's happened in the NBA and just the players themselves through social media, building the NBA brand and their own brand. Right. We have a couple of players coming across to play with us next season. Uh, one gentleman by the name of Chris Robshaw. Robshaw has an incredible following on social media, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And we intend to ask Mr. Robshaw to please use his power to educate the fans in the San Diego area when the games are, you know, come see me play. I'm playing Saturday against the Free Jacks. Come buy a ticket, you know, and to use this power and harness this power that these stars have. So that's why it's important to build stars. It's really a twofold answer. One, because I think youth want to look up to someone. They, they got to know his name. We should be wearing it on the back. I'm getting a lot of pushback on that, as you know. Um, but that's my reasoning. I think I have a compromise to that. Okay, so traditionally, we don't have to put it on the back of the jersey, but we could put it on the shorts. You can still see the shorts. How about that? Solution. Like uh, that's, why you're, that's why you're the chairman, you know, of the most important committee that we have in this league, which is our competition committee. That's because you're, you're smart like that. Whatever it is, We've got to raise these guys' profile. When I first got here, I got a call from the head of CBS Sports. We were about to put San Diego on television in two hours. And he said, George, I had no idea Ma'a was in San Diego. If I had known this, I would have pulled all the footage we have of Ma'a, and we would have run things that week of saying, you're going to want to watch this guy. Yeah, he's unbelievable. We didn't do it. So that, that's on us. And so, you know, part of our – our plan going into next year is to figure out who are the top two or three guys at every club that have these um, massive followings and harness it. We're actually going to have a partnership with the company that's going to, these players are going to be able to literally log in and they can pull whatever footage uh, and highlights of themselves right. and put it on Instagram. So they're not calling the media relations person at the free Jack saying, Hey, I need some footage of me. I want to yeah. put it on Instagram or I want to run it on Twitter or I want to run it on Facebook. So we're going, to have, we're going to centralize that. And then we're going to ask all these people with these followings to help us be a marketing engine 
for our league and for our games, whether it be on television or in, in stadium. I love it. And you said something there about the, the hero. It's important to have heroes. And, and I think for our league, it may be more uh, relatable. Um, you know, our, our, our players and our staff and coaches and everybody involved may be more, maybe your neighbor as opposed to the aspirational Tom Brady married to a model type of, type of thing where, okay, well, I would love to go have my kids do a clinic or I want to go have a beer with, with that guy, right? I think that, that it's almost NASCAR versus NBA, I guess, would be probably a, a comparison. Well, it's that, and we have a huge advantage, as does the NBA, over the NFL and the NHL because we can see our athletes. Yeah. We can see them. You know, all they're wearing are shorts and a jersey, whether that be NBA or Major League Rugby. So you can relate. Like I run into hockey guys all the time in Dallas, and everyone goes, oh, that's so-and-so. And I go, okay, I'll take your, your word for it because I don't, I don't go to all those games, and you know, but we have a huge advantage, right? So we got to take advantage of that. You know, everything that we have an advantage in in rugby, we have to put at the top of our list of things that we maximize. You know, and the ability to see the player and to be able to relate to the player is hugely important. Oh, and by the way, it's a big white ball that you can see, and you can see their faces and they're athletic, and there's different body shapes, and they can kick it, but they can also pass it. You can also tackle. <laughs> you can also do give and goes. Every 30 seconds, you get a break for 15 seconds to converse and talk, and it's only 80 minutes. And the pregame is as awesome as the postgame. <laughs> it's a crazy you know, you laugh about that, but I didn't know that tradition. And when we were in, um, you know, Las Vegas to begin the season, someone said, hey, will you go speak at the Rooney post-dinner, you know, post-match dinner? I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And they said, well, can you also do that? And I, I believe was it maybe it was the Free Jacks. I can't remember who they played in the opening. I said, yeah, but just tell me where the two dinners are as long as I can get there. They go, no, 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 the dinners are together. I said, What? Yeah. So you're telling me that we take two teams after a match where they, they're beating the snot out of each other and trying to win, and we a couple hours later, they reconvene in a restaurant for dinner and beers and all that. They said, yeah, I go, have we taken a television camera into that and shown that to our viewing audience, which we never have, which we're going to do? Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's one of those points of differentiation that we have. Completely. Like bear hugging on the field and then just hugging after. It's just a lot of great hugging. Yeah. 2021 top priorities for you. For us, really. You know, I would say to really solidify all 13 teams. Just make sure that, you know, when I first got here, we had a situation in Austin. They weren't going to make it. We had already come out with the schedule. We had already have our broadcast schedule. And it would have been a pretty big black eye for our league to have to say, well, one of our franchises didn't make it. We were able to transact that franchise to a group that's very well capitalized. So it's like, and I, I got this advice from, from my friends at the NBA that are in the commissioner's office. They said, George, you're only going to be as strong as your weakest team, you know, and you're going to spend all of your time with that weakest team. And that's what we did for the first 90 days is, 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 is work on Austin and get – Austin sold and with your boss, you know, and your partner, Eric Anderson, by my side, we were able to do it, but we don't want that. We want all these teams to, to be successful. And that means all the things we talked about, just the blocking and tackling of sports marketing, fill your stadium, be a great marketer, put on a great show, have great merchandise. All of those things 
are the ones that are important. So that's that's my priority to make sure all 13 are hitting on all cylinders. Right, right. That's kind of the trifecta of you know, sustained sports excellence, right? The sports entertainment excellence is the, the in-stadium experience, so just really great fan experience, i.e. ticket sales, game day, rev, uh, a way to access it digitally, so TV broadcast. And the other stool to that globally certainly is gaming and betting. What is our future in gaming and betting? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very lucrative sponsorship area. Uh, we were able to do seven-figure deals at the Mavericks. The reason we were able to do that is there was a ton of people betting on the Mavericks. There's volume. There's volume. We need volume. So we don't have that today. Uh, there's some. There's a couple challenges there. Like we have to have real-time stats, and we those are all all things that come into the gaming side and the gambling side. Um, it will come. Um, I don't know that it's lucrative today. Um, and also, I don't know that I really want it to be lucrative today. You know, there's, there's a lot of issues that come with that. And, and the integrity of the game and the integrity of our referee program are at the utmost, right? So that's, that's day one stuff for a commissioner to make sure that there isn't anything, you know, deviant going on in the system. And when you introduce and you take those kind of revenues in the gaming and gambling side, it introduces that or has the potential to introduce into that. So you have to be very careful. Um, you know, the integrity of the game is foremost. Um, so it'll come, but I, I, I'm not in the biggest rush for that category. There's plenty of other categories in the world to, to get sponsorship dollars. Um, I've watched, you know, the NBA do it, you know, and then the fan duel and, and, and uh, draft king kind of situations. And, you know, it's lucrative for sure. Yeah, there has to be volume, and more importantly, it's got to be safe, right? Especially when our model is predicated a lot on participation and growing, growing that, that part of everything else. Um, before we get into rapid fire, uh, any questions for me? Who, let's see, a good question for you. I don't know. I, I get to follow you, your episodes on Instagram and Facebook and things like that. You know, you're a pretty interesting character all the way around. Like, I, I love to see your family stuff and – and you, you put a lot of time into your, into your social media, which goes back to my, my earlier rant about people like you should be doing that, you know, because you have this great platform as president, CEO of the club and an ex-Eagle and, and all of that. I mean, you're a pretty interesting character to me. As modern day sports entertainment, we can't be hidden anymore. Like at the end of the day, we got, they got to know who we are. If they're going to buy into what we're trying to sell, they got to know it's honest and genuine and that's what we live. So if we're saying that, we love to work really hard and we love to celebrate together that hard work, right? And, and live a great life and live it to the fullest. If we're saying that, they got to they gotta understand. Our, our fans have to understand that that is real and genuine. So we've got to share yeah. that. That wasn't really a question, by the way. That was more of a statement. So I, I apologize for that. But I, I, like I follow a few of you guys that it had really huge success for USA. And you all are kind of the same. You all have this kind of fun-loving way about you which is what this should be all about right because people they identify with people that are fun right like if if your instagram page or whatever is dull then no one's really going to spend any time on it you know but if you can laugh at yourself and you can have fun then you're growing a community and that's what we're trying to do here right we're trying to build 13 communities in our 13 franchises and you can't leave your community it's kind of like your family it's like you don't opt out of your family just because you don't like someone or whatever. You're kind of stuck. 
And that's what we have to do in these 13 cities so that every day there's a match day, there's a quid pro quo that we all have to go. We have to go support mags or we got to, and if you, you know, and that's not, you can't do it alone. You've got to have all your team and your coaches and anyone that is willing to jump in, you know, have that kind of presence. And then because it's free, it's free media, the, the, the tentacles that come off of that and the people that are attracted to it, you're going to fill your stadium. Yeah. You just will. But you can't, you got to expose because we're not to, no one's doing it for us. You're not getting headlines in the Boston Herald about the Free Jacks. You're not going to be on the top of the sports page, right? So you got to you got to find ways to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not sandwiched between the Celtics and the Patriots or the Red Sox. You, everybody here to hear first. We're in the business of fun. The fantastic George Killebrew on Full Contact CEO. We're going to go into rapid fire now, sponsored by none other than the Free Jacks. Can you believe that? <laughs> Very nice. Who in the MLR? could wrestle a grizzly bear and your staff is included well i gotta start with a free jack i go with ollie Engelhart. yes of course he picked the ginger yeah ollie's the man that's great love it ollie's but then i think i would i would pivot to rooney the guy i got to spend some time with i take dylan fawcett mostly because he's a nickname yes yeah. the butcher yeah and i got met in a big irish guy i'm like i'll take dylan fawcett yeah, great guy. Yeah, yeah. He's our captain, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, and a great player. Uh, which, which Dallas Mavericks player um, could walk or, or walk into the MLR? Could, could walk uh, Pastor uh, You know, the, the, probably the most athletically talented guy I was ever around is Jason Kidd, that we won a championship in 2011 with him as our point guard. And everybody said he was too old to win an NBA championship as a starting point guard. But I watched Jason compete in golf. I've watched him compete in everything. And he's, you meet those freak athletes that come into your life at some point. I think Jason's one of them. I wouldn't sell Luka Doncic out. I think he's, he's a, a freak talent as well. He can do it all. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to say Dirk, but I don't know a lot of seven-foot-one rugby players. But he, he's a pretty – like, he, he, you can't beat him in ping pong. He's very hard to beat in tennis, so he can do other things besides basketball. But I'm going to stick with Jason Kidd and Luka Doncic. I love that. When I was running the USA Rugby High Performance, we were looking to try to find crossovers, try to find that needle in the haystack who we could transition over. For us, Luke Gross, who I played with at the U.S., is a legendary U.S. player. Um, you know, 6'9", played in Europe professionally, but grew up in Indiana, was at Marshall, went to Indiana State. Most penalties in Indiana State history, <laughs> right? Yeah. Kind of just, you know, met some rugby guys on campus, started playing rugby in addition to, you know, fouling out in, in, in basketball and D1 basketball and, you know, made, he was a legendary rugby player. So how did we find, how do we find the next Luke Gross? And that was always a... I probably should add one, Mags. I should probably add Mark Cuban <laughs> because he actually played the game and, you know, he goes out and warms up in basketball and he can hit like 10 threes in a row. Like he's kind of a freak for – and he's 60 years old, by the way, which is hard to believe. People don't think he's 60, but he is. He's actually 61, but should probably add him in former Mavericks and current Mavericks. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and he's still got the fire for sure to play rugby successfully. Um. If you could get one lifetime sponsor for the league right now, who would it be? Well, that's the one I'm working on. I mean, it's F45. It's, it's Adam Gilchrist, one of our owners, owns this chain of 2,000 gyms. Like, what better partner for Major League Rugby than is a gym? You know, and, and our players can go and work in these gyms. And it's just the absolute perfect brand match. And I'm going to get it one way or the other. So 
Okay. Let me know if I can help. Last one, I ask everybody this. If you were running the free jacks today, what would you be focusing on? I would be focusing on putting on the best party in town. 100%. Being, having the reputation of, I can't miss a free jacks game because fill in the blank. I've heard, I've seen, it's the best party in town. It's the best experience in town. It's the best entertainment value in town. Be the answer to the question of, as a family is sitting around the table, what are we going to do on Saturday night? Be the answer to that question. There's something for the two to 92 year old, you know, and we've talked about that at length before. Thanks for sharing your insights and uh, let's go do this. Anytime, buddy. I'll jump on anytime. Man, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Full Contact CEO. Make sure you never miss an interview by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't hesitate to rate us and leave us a review. And be sure to like and follow Full Contact CEO on Twitter and Instagram at Full Contact CEO for even more content. Have a great day. Bye.